Hello, everyone. Thanks for giving us your time today. I'm Ian Hamilton, broadcasting from the Upload VR Studios. This is VR Download, and I'm joined by David Heaney, who is no longer in Northern Ireland. He's moved over to England and unfortunately to an untested Wi-Fi network. So we're going to try to give our conversation some space today because there might be a lag situation here. We've got a couple interesting things to get into today, and I'm seeing everyone in our comments. Hello, Ryan, Jack, Zach. Please sound off in the comments, letting us know what country you're watching us from. It really brings home the power of VR to broadcast here from virtual space out to a global audience. How are you doing, David Heaney? Yeah, as you mentioned, I've just moved country, and at the last minute, the proper internet installation was delayed a week and a half. So apologies if my current internet connection does hold up well today. But, but yeah, hopefully you know, within a week or two, uh, everything should all be, be sorted. Today, we're going to talk about four topics. We're going to talk about Pico announcing a new headset without positional tracking in this year, 2023. We're going to talk about that Bloomberg report that Apple's headset will have an arsenal of first-party apps. We'll talk about the Valve interview that reaffirms work on a new VR headset, yet more evidence that Valve is working on a headset. And finally, we'll talk about Meta laying off staff in some of its acquired VR game studios as part of its second major wave of layoffs. Yeah, not the biggest news week relatively. I think we're building towards a storm here over the next couple months. As Sony and Meta build toward the months that matter to them, those are the holiday months of kind of September, October, November, December, building out their plan for the biggest games and hardware bundles, sales. And I think that story really starts to come together before the summer. And then it picks up after the summer in a really, really big way. That's kind of, I think, what we're building towards over the next couple of weeks. I was kind of taken aback by this Pico situation. We just put out our first Upload VR newsletter. You can subscribe to that on UploadVR.com. And I talked a little bit about this, this situation, both like in the subject of the email and down below, just that Pico as a company is not willing to ship the Pico 4 in the United States just yet. And that's a, that's a significant thing, but they're willing to ship this less capable headset elsewhere in the world. Why, why would that make sense? So the first thing we should obviously note is that this is a business headset. This is not a headset that they're going to sell to individuals. They will only sell it to registered companies. But yeah, as this, the Pico G3 is a completely new headset that, that is three degrees of freedom, three off. It has no positional tracking, so you can rotate your head like this, but if you were to lean from side to side or kind of move up or down or any of the actual translational movements, you would see the entire world shift along with you like you were using a phone holder headset or an Oculus Go. And from a hardware perspective, this this thing, the G3, is essentially like a Quest 2, but without the cameras and with the battery and the back padding in the style of the Pico 4. So... That, that's essentially what it is. It uses that same Snapdragon XR2 Gen 1 processor that you see in all of these current headsets like Quest 2 and Pico 4 and Vive XR Elite, but without positional tracking. And it's sold to businesses for $400. Uh, and that's surprising to some people because, you know, they think, you know, the Pico 4 is priced at 400, sorry, 400 euros, 400 euros, I should clarify. And that's surprising to some people because, you know, they see the Pico 4 is sold at 430 euros and they think, you know, why would anyone spend 30, 30 euros less for no positional tracking? And the answer there, as we pointed out in our article, is that the Pico 4 is only 430 euros when sold to individuals. If you're selling it to businesses, they have to buy the Pico 4 Enterprise, which is 900 euros. So this is actually less than half the price of that enterprise headset. And the, re the main use case for this is the likes of museums and trade shows and installations where they're actually only showing a 360 degree video or you know, a VR experience that is so simplistic that the person is seated. So it, it's a very niche headset. It's surprising to see it happen. I still don't think they should be launching a new three degree of freedom headset in 2023. If you are just using a 360 degree video, the old headsets like Oculus Go and Pico G2 are going to more than suffice. It, it, someone uh, who 
on Twitter who has some supply chain expertise has uh, floated the idea that perhaps this is just about getting rid of parts, parts that were used for Pico 3 and the older headsets so that they can focus more on Pico 4 from a manufacturing. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Interesting theory there. Uh, kind of would, would get to it. Like I, what, as you explained all that, there's a lot of analysis that just pops out uh, in my head. And I'm thinking of uh, Artful's comment there where he really did go to your core question of what is this for? Where it's, it's, it's really true that like, even if the newest device is a higher resolution bump, why not just go, like the, the, why not just go to a last generation resolution if you're going to go to three DOF? Why does it matter to upgrade anything else? Like you're, the leap from a cardboard box at three DOF to the latest and greatest resolution at three DOF is not worth the expense, I would think. So you could easily get a, a decent experience out of last generation hardware and, and not need something new. That's the weird part. The predecessor headset to this, the G2 4K, had the same resolution. The only difference from this headset compared to the predecessor 3DOF headset is that it has the newer processor, the XR2, whereas the previous headset had the same processor that was in Oculus Quest 1. So this is an odd headset that seems to be for a very, very particular niche. And yeah, you got to wonder why they really bothered. Yeah, so some irony here. Over the last couple of years of the VR download, we have had all sorts of networking situations uh, affecting various members of the team, you know, storms coming through in various parts of the world to affect internet access. Uh, Servers going down in certain parts of the world on certain services could affect what's happening to us. And anytime we go to a new internet connection, we we have to test out, like, is there too many devices on this uh, at this time? Uh, what's its latency to the servers where, where we're doing this. And uh, people are tuning into the middle of our show after he and I sort of explained at the beginning, David's on a new internet connection today. There's some differences in how his well, latency or tracking works. And uh, yeah, just we're, we're going to push through it. Yeah, just to be clear, I don't actually have an internet connection yet. My, my home internet, just as I move, was delayed by we can have some just using a different internet connection now to, to at least be able to show up on the show at all. So again, apologies to that, folks, but you know, I think it was better than not going live at all. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff we want to get through, and we've just gotten back at it. Um, it's just bringing me back to my days when I'm trying to broadcast from 4G myself just to see what that's like, and the nightmares we had when it was like we had PCVR headsets in between that internet connection. This is a far better experience, even... Uh, even then all that. So it's a kind of like a testament to how the, the overall tech stack's improving. So Apple's headset is supposed to have a lot of first-party apps, including the core sort of iOS app, as well as access to a lot of content from iPad. How are we expecting this to work? What is the latest reporting here? And when can I talk about my freeform theories? Yeah, so if anyone didn't catch this report from Bloomberg, it sounds like one of the key use cases of this Apple headset, the one that is expected to be unveiled in June and expected to be priced around $3,000, is that it will be able to run iPad apps on a floating Windows in front of you, and not just one iPad app, but multiple. So just like on Quest, you can run three web apps floating in front of you. Apple seems like their take on this will be that you're not only getting access to web apps, but full fledged iPad apps, the kind that some people even do real productivity and and real work and run real businesses on from iPad Pro. And so that's a kind of fascinating uh, use case for this product that touches on a lot of what Meta talked about wanting Quest Pro to do in this whole idea of being a laptop replacement. Obviously, you know, these aren't macOS apps, so they're not talking about a laptop replacement quite yet. But even for the first generation product, be able to use iPad Pro apps. Apple is in many ways trying to, you know, pitch the iPad Pro as a laptop replacement. So being able to do that from anywhere and have these on a giant virtual screens in front of you, that it'll be really interesting to see how well that works out. Because I think one of the weaknesses of the Quest Pro approach was this limitation to web apps. Sure, you can sideload Android apps on a Quest, but that's something that, you know, requires you to go and find APKs on websites and sideload from your PC. 
the, the report here is indicating that this will be just directly on the app store in front of you, just the same way you would get it on iPad. I liked Onikaze's comment that uh, when we have a bandwidth issue, it should trigger a rollback to earlier avatar, avatars so we could experience like a time shift moment uh, of going back to the previous uh, situations whenever uh, we have a, an issue with bandwidth. I love that idea of messing with our heads. Thank you so much, Onikaze, for uh, messing with our reality. Um, this, this, this app's idea is really significant to me. Um, Meta or Apple has a giant marketing campaign that lasted years over there of there being an app for that. Uh, they, it, it did this giant amount of work for Apple in making the general public realize you don't have to go to a website. You could go to the app store and search for the thing you need. And then have that sort of task or service, content, whatever available to you uh, on your phone anytime. This giant, giant platform built on top of this user interface that they launched back in 2007. Uh, it, you know, I thought about the concept of there's a world for that, right? Ideally, Meta would want to be able to do the same, right? They would want to convey mini golf with friends, table tennis, uh, movie, night out, uh, all these things, there is a world for that to, for you to experience with your, your friend. And I, I was reading some of the marketing materials for their latest sort of Horizon Worlds announcement, and they're getting to that. They're doing a fair amount of uh, stuff with, um, with integrating um, the venues experiences so having venues shows inside horizon worlds gives them a fair amount of things you can argue yeah there's a world for you to go and watch a concert with friends they're they're trying to get up to there but they've got these like knockoff versions of of games that are in the store and they haven't owned this idea that really if you include all of the content on the meta store alongside the content in horizon worlds there are really super compelling multiplayer worlds for a ton of activities to experience with, with friends in VR. And they've, they really haven't even begun to tell that story. And it, it's really fascinating to me to think that Apple is going to arrive this year with a device that could be hypothetically... <laughs> I, I'm, un, I'm, 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 I'm unwilling to be... To, fully buy into the price targets we've been hearing until I hear Apple actually say it. Because there was some weird reporting back when the iPad debuted about what price target that device was going to hit. And then it kind of surprised people at hitting a completely different price target. So we've been hearing multi-thousands of dollars for this Apple headset, yet we know Meta is charging just a couple hundred dollars. Like they're, they're going to the $500 iPad price range of this next quest it's hard for a lot of people to grasp what is the market uh you know how many people are going to go and get a device that's two to three thousand dollars in its first generation if it doesn't have just an incredible number of things to do and i i don't think people have wrapped their heads around whether apple can match that with worlds here they're bringing their apps to to sort of battle against the world's thing that Meta might actually have an advantage on. Well, on that pricing idea, I think that's why the rumor suggests that this first headset will be branded Apple Reality Pro. And then eventually, according to these same rumors, Apple will release a lower cost line, just branded Apple Reality 1 and then Apple Reality 2. So in, this is more akin to Meta's Quest Pro, which is obviously priced now at $1,000 and was priced at $1,500. And if the rumors are correct about Apple's headset having these 4K by 4K micro OLED panels, you know, they're going to cost hundreds of dollars each, you know, at minimum $100 each to put in the product. You're going to be talking about maybe even the display and lens system in Apple costing more to make than an, an entire Quest 2. So it, it doesn't, it makes sense to me that they would start with this extremely high priced product. The, the original iPhone was not even available to purchase because it was so expensive. And if you actually factored out the uh, data cost, uh, the plan cost, and looked at what is that equivalent price, I think it was something like 
$1,700 equivalent that uh, that first iPhone hardware did cost. So to me, I could easily see this thing being $2,500, $3,000. I don't think it's supposed to sell in volume the first headset. I think the idea is to get the idea out there, prove what's possible, uh, get Reality OS shipped to real people or XROS as it may now be called, get developers on board and you know, let some of those high-end solutions kind of be built out. And then for everyone else, Reality One comes along in a few years at maybe uh, you know twelve hundred or fifteen hundred dollars to be more akin to the MacBook Air pricing. Yeah, I, we're going to have to let's move on to the sort of Valve interview subject because we're going to come back on this full circle when we get into the the sort of status of Meta right now. I'm I'm going to bring us back to what's going on with Apple and how that sets us up against Meta where it is right now uh, after we get into this next subject. But I want to go into this Valve interview basically indicating that they're still working on a VR headset. I reached out to Valve. I sent out an email just to see if we could get some kind of updated comment because of the way this this bit of news got out there. Haven't received a response. Typical of Valve, you know, they're going to pick their moment to talk about things when it when it suits them. So, you know, it doesn't say anything that they wouldn't respond right now other than they're they're sort of getting their ducks in a row. So uh, why don't you run us through what this is, David Heaney? Yeah, so this was an interview with the Korean gaming outlet, This Is Game, where Valve product designer Greg Coomer referenced working on a new VR headset lately. And the reason we used the word reaffirms in our head Headline, and the reason we're not talking about this as some kind of breaking news is that Valve has pretty openly discussed the fact that they're working on a headset for more than two years now. This is something that they have well discussed as maybe a too strong a term, hinted in many ways. And we've seen multiple job listings now in the past six months directly reference work on a new consumer VR headset. A job listing just this week reference, you know, new Valve Index products. This is now a matter of when, not if, for Valve's new headset, unless the entire project is canned, which, you know, the fact that he's referencing it in interviews like this seems fairly unlikely. The index is now getting, you know, very old. It's approaching four years old. Uh, It looks like Valve is going to release a headset that, like Quest, can work fully standalone or can connect to your PC. And it's something that, you know, the biggest question for me is still, is this going to be like Steam Deck where Valve picks uh, cost-effective hardware and tries to launch at an affordable price point? Or is this going to be more like Index 1 where they try to provide the most premium experience, price be damned? I would love to see Valve compete directly with Quest 3 at a $500 or so price point. But, you know, some and of the uh, data mining so far suggests that it may actually be closer to Quest Pro's 1000 pricing. Yeah, we can't we can't read too much into those things. And there is the there is the comment I believe floating out there from Gabe Newell about it being hard for them to have sort of swallowed the pricing scheme they've come up with for Steam Deck. Right? They were used to taking a profit with Index, which is I think the overall pitch of that that device. Um, and then Steam Deck has to be subsidized in some way. Uh, to, to kind of reach the market they're, they're really reaching for. So it's kind of proving a point in the way that Meta often tries to prove points that they can, they can do that as a company and still come out the other side. So um, I, I wouldn't be, it would be interesting to see where they land, right? Um, also, I'm seeing people talk about content here and it, it brings me... Brings me to something I think about a lot when it comes to this, where for the last, I want to say, five years now, we're, we're, we're getting close to five years, uh, Meta's Quest platform has redefined the, the kind of minimum, minimum uh, product bar, the minimum specification for a VR experience. It's got to be sixed off. It's got to have hand track or uh, controller tracking. And it needs to run on a cell phone class chip from the year 2018. Um, that's that's kind of 
but before that, from about 2013 to about 2018, you're talking PC minimum spec being the thing that's uh, been given to all of the developers out there. Yes, they're trying to find out what's the minimum uh, experiential thing. Do you lean around in it? Do you need to have controller tracking? Uh, those were all open questions in that period. But the minimum specification was still the power of various generations of GTX graphics card, right? Uh, and, and Meta has changed that for the last half decade with Quest. What does it take for Sony or Valve to establish a new spot for that kind of minimum bar? Uh, what, where is, what becomes the minimum spec for dev over the next few years? Because it, it matters a lot to the audience out there to have a, a sort of concept in their mind of this has been downgraded for this platform or this is a better experience on this specific platform. And right now it's really hard for people to imagine. Um, all right, so, so I'm not speaking in a vacuum here. We just published an interview from Vertigo 2's developer, Zach. Um, and in that interview, his comments are uh, saying that it would be great if Meta wasn't the leader in standalone hardware. And yes, there are, and acknowledging that yes, there's certain types of content that don't run on the current Quest standalone hardware. We know Quest 3 is going to take a giant leap for Meta's ecosystem. Where is the rest of the market ready to, you know, take a moment and say, this is the minimum spec for, for everyone else going forward in standalone? Well, you know, I think obviously Zach there, the developer of Vertigo 2, is a former Valve employee. So, it, you know, those kind of comments aren't really surprising or, uh, you know, at least did some work with Valve on some sort of basis. but. The fact that there are something like 15 to 18 million Quest 2s out there means that it's going to be the minimum bar that developers care about for a long time. It is going to be years and years until developers are not building primarily for that platform because it doesn't, it's not capabilities that makes the vast majority of developers, including almost all actual studios where, you know, you have something like 10, 20, 30, 50 employees target hardware. It's how many people own it. How many people can they actually sell their game or their app to? And it seems like it, with Quest 3 seemingly going to launch at around $500 compared to Quest 2 launching at $300, it's unlikely that it's going to immediately take up any sort of huge chunk of that Quest 2 install base. It's likely that people will be still using that Quest 2 for many years to come. And, you know, uh, the CTO of Meta, Andrew Bosworth, seemed to suggest in an Ask Me Anything session a few months ago that even Quest 2 would be still sold after Quest 3's race. So I think that minimum is, is going to stay at XR2 Gen 1 processor, two controllers, hand tracking, and you know room scale positional tracking. That is the minimum bar for VR and, and seems like it will be for a long time. Yes, you'll get extra features on some headsets, eye tracking, face tracking, body tracking, uh, mixed reality, like you may see on Quest 3. And I expect based on the job listings, Valve's headset is going to have a lot of mixed reality capabilities. But that core capability of six off head and hands with an XR2 Gen 1 processor is going to be developer's target for a long time. Gothic saying they're missing discussions on our website. Totally understand the sort of loss there amongst people that really liked the sort of free discussions area. We, we've really found... Uh, our focus and our ability to sort of carry on discussions was benefited from sort of seeing, even in the studio, people highlighted who are, are, are really adamant supporters. Like we, we, we are recognizing your names as people who are regular viewers of our show, people who help support our work. And I have to convey that um, the problem for journalists is, is how they focus their time and what impact they can have on sort of the topics in front of them. And any amount of support from anyone out there to, to help us just uh, make sure we can cover more things is going to make uh, a dramatic difference to our coverage. So I just want to use this opportunity to say, yes, please come become a member. Uh, understand people who miss our old comment system. But, uh, you know, I've seen a couple comments in our 
in our new system come in and they were raising valid questions about like things we didn't cover in our articles. And I went and found those answers immediately. Uh, it was really easy to kind of know that that person really values our time. We're going to try to value your time back. And it makes a, a really, really good interaction overall, I think. So I just wanted to cover that. And yes, please become a member. Yeah, and just to reply to Zach Wilder, you don't have to become a member to give your to read takes on the site. You just have to become a member to give your takes. So, you know, the members take sections. You can still view. You can still uh, look at that. You can still discuss our articles on Twitter and Facebook and any of the other platforms. Just that on our website, we've decided to kind of have, instead of a small little comment section that's, you know, from a separate provider with tiny font, we decided to have these upfront same font size, prominent members takes from the people who want to, you know, directly support us and, and engage directly. Uh, so that's kind of what, where we're landed at right now. Uh, Jack B is pointing out that, you know, the index, despite being priced at $1,000 has it lasted four years. And, you know, yes, it is a, a high quality piece of hardware. Uh, it's, it's very comfortable. It's obviously premium made, but, you know, I would argue that its resolution is significantly outdated. People were complaining four years ago when the index launched that its resolution wasn't up to standard compared to the headsets that were inbound then, like Reverb G2. For almost four years later, you can buy a headset for a couple of hundred dollars that completely outclasses its resolution. You know, it's just at the at the very least, I don't think Valve should have stick to stuck to these extremely long cycles on panel resolution, or if they're going to. Go all out and put the highest resolution possible in its day. Because, you know, that is just the one real weakness of Index uh, at this point. And someone else bringing up uh, that there's rumors of Artful bringing up that there's rumors of a 3.0 Lighthouse system for Index. I think that's unlikely, personally. I think if you look at Valve's job listings, they're all about computer vision. And that's, you know, the the idea that Valve is still going to require you to buy these $150 each base stations to use their headset when they can hire, you know, computer vision engineers and ship a system that can do hand tracking, object tracking, mixed reality, advanced chaperone, all from cameras on the headset. It seems pretty clear to me which direction. I think you muted yourself right at the end of that. I don't know when you muted. Maybe it, maybe the mute was timed to when you stopped speaking, but then I heard you talk for another few seconds. That's the type of situation we're here with on the internet. Um, <laughs> I, uh, the comments here are really interesting and I, the Lighthouse 3.0 is a really interesting prospect. I think a lot about, uh, whether there's privacy differences between a Lighthouse system and, uh, a system that you've got to stick sort of, uh, objects on to track them versus just an active computer vision based system that's kind of always scanning anytime it's turned on. Uh, I don't know if there's any consumer benefit over the years to the difference there at all. Um, yeah, but, you know, even if there is, if they want to get hand tracking, if they want, you know, advanced guardian that shows you or chaperone as Valve would call it, that shows you when your pets or your family members come into the room and kind of automatically meshes out your desk instead of having a two dimensional chaperone that goes from the floor to infinity, all of those things, all of these advanced features that are going to be standard on every headset uh, quite soon are going to require the the headset to be covered with cameras anyway. And even the index, you know, it has those two high quality RGB cameras on the front. I don't think there's any escaping cameras for headsets anytime soon. See, I think what we're starting to get a picture of now is the compromises and the product placements that these companies are 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 settling on over successive generations. And I, I think it's fascinating how we don't have a full picture of just what Sony wants to what wants the PSVR2 ecosystem to grow into. We've only begun even months into the launch of the platform to start seeing devs and the platform itself push what eye tracking does to that ecosystem, right? We've seen uh, on fly developers supporting the 60 or 120 frames reprojection system and we're, we're starting to see even a few months into this, a trend shift towards actually games with 120 frames without reprojection do make a, a, a significant difference to some people out there in the audience. 
those are things that Apple and Valve can use as lessons as they're building out and about to launch their platforms. And that's what I'm getting to when we start talking about this minimum spec idea. Uh, you know, I was there at a demo at GDC years ago where uh, I think it was Toby was integrated with uh, a Valve headset of some kind, probably an Index, but it was still the Steam VR platform, still all of Valve's thing. You know, they've, they've played with eye tracking for a very, very long time. And we know that there were other prototypes that they'd considered prior to the index that had more things. All, all this is to say that, like, if you picked a standalone platform with true foveated rendering turned on by default, and it was just the right resolution, like you've pointed out the Steam Deck being such a critical resolution to make that handheld experience work. If they can pick another resolution that works that way for VR and it's a a bare minimum and then combine that with foveated rendering, I'm arguing that maybe they can, they can, and they've talked about needing the, the chips that are in the theme deck in the standalone platform. Is there a potential for having like another chipset and another minimum viable sort of marker than what you're saying for XR2? I'm, I'm asking, can you run Half-Life Alex on a standalone from Valve, David Heaney? Yeah, so we, we've talked about this idea before. And just to be more specific on that Steam Deck, you know, the, the Steam Deck works as a product and it worked for playing all of these AAA games because the resolution is 800p. You know, it is a fraction of the pixels that you're actually running those games on when you're running it on your PC, be it on a, you know, it's like half the pixels of a 1080p monitor and much less than if you're using 1440p or 4k that's what a lot of the steam Deck's competitors have completely missed out on a lot of them will say oh look we have a 1080p screen on our steam deck competitor isn't that so cool and it's like no because then then you're all you're gonna you're still gonna have to down sample the games you're gonna have to run them at a lower resolution to make them work the whole point of the steam deck is that valve were uh, for lack of a better word brave enough to put out a product that didn't look good on spec sheets from from its display capability but actually delivered on being able to play any game on steam that doesn't work in vr yes you can get some games with foveated rendering the games that you see on foveated rendering on on quest pro are on the order of 30 percent on psvr2 depending on the game you can get maybe 50 percent but you need a lot more than 30 or 50 percent over a AMD APU that fits inside a headset to get Half-Life Alex running. You need games that will require eye-tracking hardware and, and software that does not exist yet, or at least not in a way that can be shipped in a consumer product. If Valve wants to ship a standalone, they're going to have to re- do exactly what Meta did and have a separate platform, or at least a separate section of the Steam store where developers optimize these games specifically for it you know you need a version of half-life alex that has been ported not for operating system there's no operating system difference but all of those assets are going to have to be downgraded the you know the shaders are going to have to be optimized you can't just pull at the same resolution or or even worse higher resolution is what people are going to expect from a new headset and and make a game like that run on a chip that fits inside a headset and runs off the battery (laughs) Yeah, our commenters are noticing the situation that I'm facing, which is that David Heaney has gone invisible. And it's, you know what, what's possible that could happen here is he could mute his microphone and maybe the data rates would capture up, you know, catch up to whatever is happening over there. And maybe he'd reappear back in our reality. So he's, David Heaney is too high bandwidth for this version of reality right now. Um, I want to move on to this next subject, but I, he said so many interesting things there that I want to respond to or get into um, about the possibilities here. Um, and I, you know, Sony has brought Resident Evil, Gran Turismo, Horizon Zero Dawn into VR with two successive generations of hardware, right? They, they began... At the beginning of the first generation of PSVR, they had things like a Call of Duty experience that they were able to pay uh, an, another studio to make. And there was uh, little examples of these, these beautiful moments in VR. And we've seen indie devs pick up the, pick up the slack there. Elite Dangerous, um, No Man's Sky, uh, these, these games that 
have fleshed out ideas that were shown for the first generation of the PSVR platform. And then over from Rift to Quest, we've seen a continuous thing over there. Over at Valve, like it's hard for people to wrap their heads around how a company of like so many independent thinkers can pull together and work towards the same goal. Um, And that's all to say that if you announce a standalone VR platform from Valve and it runs Half-Life Alex out of the box, plus promising another Valve game for that same headset within, you know, within its lifetime, you're going to match anything that's coming out of the Sony ecosystem and you're going to match anything that's coming out of the Meta ecosystem just based on the weight of that exclusive content alone, right? You're going to get people that are willing to pay or wait a couple hundreds of dollars for the Valve exclusive experience compared to what you can get out of the other platforms. And I think it's just, I'll never forget, again, I've, I've re- recapped the story a couple of times. I went to Valve's headquarters to try out the Index headset I got an email right before the demo saying our embargo timing for your demo today has changed to the moment that Mark Zuckerberg is going to walk out on stage and announce the Rift S. So so some piece of information exchanged hands there and Valve knew like the date that um, Meta was going to announce its next system and then they, they, they basically picked the exact moment to take some of the wind out of the sails out of their competitors. I, I'm, I, it's a once in a five year, seven year type thing. And we're building toward that moment is what I'm getting at. We already talked about meta clear, now. I'm not saying, I, just to be clear, I'm not saying that Half-Life Alex can't run on a standalone. I'm just saying they would have to port it, you know, in the same way that a game has to be ported to a Nintendo Switch. So, I, you know, that would be great. I, I do think as great as Alex is as a game, you have to remember it is only one game and one game can never, rarely can one game sell a system ad infinitum. It does, like you say, need a promise of more Valve games. There was that promise when the Index launched of these three other Valve games that never actually materialized and some people may be a bit burned by that. Uh, so I, I think that is going to be Valve's weakness here is delivering enough content that people want, not just that one big game, because if it, if Alex was enough to sell headsets, we would have seen a, a huge growth in Steam VR. And yes, there it did have a notable growth in Steam VR's usage, but it lasted for a short amount of time, and then people said, "Okay, what's next?" And the problem is, nothing came next. There was no next. So, oh, uh, so I get that, and I and I have to go back. Oh, I, I'm, I was about to give spoilers for Half Life Alex, so I've got to avoid doing that for the three people in our audience right now who haven't finished the game. But I remember Jamie, when he did his write-up of Half-Life Alex and the review, it feels like there's a promise made narratively in the game itself uh, as to what the future can hold. And I think <laughs> uh, Half-Life 3 being so many years in the making as being the internet's biggest joke um, that it, it's never going to happen you know, there's too many hurt souls out there to believe. It's the only thing that that even comes close to the people who are butthurt about Apple never actually shipping a headset over the years, right? Uh, there's nobody that's want to get hurt over getting their hopes up that Half-Life 3 is going to happen before Half-Life 3 is actually going to happen. And uh, that name is reserved for uh, something that moves gaming forward considerably, I would think. Uh, at this point, um, all, all I'm getting at here is, is I have to like, I have to get across that we've been talking for years about this moment when VR becomes mainstream. And there's a theme in our show here talking about the Oculus Go, where back when the Oculus Go came out, uh, we thought, wow, this is $200. That's, this, this could be mainstream VR. This could be the breaking point. Here's a point to build on. And it turned out actually there was a ton of bad ideas in uh, just for any everyday consumers locking them into a straitjacket. So we learned our lesson from that one and we saw how closer 
quest one and quest two gets to it. And we're moving on to the story here where Meta is laying off tens of thousands of people over the last six months, right? And, and they've promised to, you know, they're, they're laying off a large segment of the overall company. Um, and uh, they're trying to right-size themselves for this next effort. And I cannot help but see a company that is reorganizing right before our very eyes to be a company built for shipping large amounts of VR headsets. Like nobody out there, none of the stockholders, none of the analysts are assessing that fact. This meta is a company that is reorganizing, reorganizing right before our very eyes to ship tens of millions of VR headsets at a scale ho- they hope will, will, will outstrip the competitors. Um, that's, that's a significant moment in the history of personal computing. And I'm, I just, I don't think Valve and I don't think Sony uh, and I don't think Apple are missing that moment either. And that, that's where I think we can move on to. You want to give a little bit more detail on these layoffs here, David? Yeah, so this was part of Meta's second wave of layoffs. Back in November, they laid off uh, around 10,000, and now they're reportedly laying off another roughly 10,000, with a a first half of this wave being 4,000 people. And to be clear, this is from all over the company. This is Facebook, WhatsApp, Instagram, and Reality Labs, the division that's responsible for Quest and the research and development of AR glasses. And one of the things that is uh, sort of most obvious about the Quest layoffs is that they are laying off, they have laid off dozens of people from Ready at Dawn, the studio behind Echo VR, and Downpour Interactive, the studio behind Onward. And those Downpour layoffs come just a month after the founder and you know original CEO of Downpour Interactive, Dante Buckley, left the company, left uh, Onward's developer Downpour and Meta as it was a subsidiary at the time. So he mentioned you know this idea of there being a significant difference in working in a small startup and a big corporation as his motivation for that leaving. And you know to be clear, he was not fired. He, according to him left the company. I think it's very, I don't think it's a coincidence that a month after you see a large portion of downpour being laid off. The Ready at Dawn situation is a lot more confusing because, you know, Echo VR obviously was one of the most popular multiplayer games on Quest, and it still is one of the most popular multiplayer games on Quest. And obviously we have that news a couple of months ago, that it's going to be shut down in August as Ready at Dawn works on this unannounced next project. So, you know, there's a lot of open questions about what will be the scope and scale and target of this next project if they're actually laying people off rather than expanding to build it, because that's an odd time to be laying people off if you're just about to launch, you know, a next project. Yeah, I, it's part of, it's part of this strategy that's going to emerge, right? We've talked about it before, that they've got eight or nine studios now, depending on how you count them, that they've acquired over the years. They haven't announced a single new project from any of them. There's a very, very high likelihood that all of those projects are being saved up for announcement with this next hardware. And and that's a big deal. What I, what I think is... I think... Uh, other developers need to think about in this moment is all those devs that have interesting platforms like Walkabout, Eleven Table Tennis. Um, they've got support on Steam platforms. They've some of them have support coming to Sony's platform, and we're approaching this moment where, simultaneous to uh, Meta pushing its own apps and Meta. Um, pushing Horizon Worlds, these other apps are about to debut on on what could be like a dominant headset um, over, over the next few years. So there's this, this question of how much power do you want to grant Meta in kind of controlling your future over the, over the next couple of years? Um, they can 
pay for exclusivity to keep you on their platform. Uh, they could try to acquire a company. They could do things like that to try to keep your stuff in their ecosystem. But there's a really, really interesting moment here of wondering how much money do I make if I equally support four or five of these different platforms with my with my system? Um, and I, I don't know what companies, where companies land on supporting what Meta's doing day one, right? Back when Quest One came out, the social networking services were all there. The, the rec rooms and VR chats were all confirmed as coming to Quest platform, as I recall, uh, very, very early on. Does that sort of continue to be the case when Quest 3 or whatever they call it arrives from Meta because of this, because of this critical kind of moment of, of how much power do you give the leader in a, in a new mainstream market? Um, anything else you want to get to here? So Wabo in the comments is sort of suggesting that the, this is, this layoff situation is something to do with VR not doing well. And I've heard that as a wider statement of people saying, oh, you know, this is a reflection of, you know, per sales in the VR market. But it's important to note that that's actually not the case. As I mentioned at the start, these are part of a larger wave of layoffs at Meta. And, and the cause here is the general economic downturn that companies are seeing where advertising revenue is lower because people have less money to spend. There's less consumer spending power and therefore advertisers are, are spending less because they're going to see less returns from that. Uh, filtered in with the fact that Meta is also seeing increased competition from TikTok. So they are having, you know, their, their percentage of the market in general from, you know, Instagram and Facebook proper is decreasing. The general economic conditions are worsening. And thus, we've seen Microsoft, Amazon, uh, Intel, many of these big companies, Google, many of these big companies having these huge waves of layoffs, Apple being one of the only real exceptions in the industry. And it's something where you know these companies are doing it because when they do it, their stock price increases. Investors see, okay, you're matching your reduction in uh, revenue, or at least your reduction in revenue growth with a reduction in costs. And therefore, they are you know valuing the uh, share price higher, and you know it, it, they have to be seen to be doing this at scale. There are ten thousand people laid off in each wave here, and that's very similar numbers to what you're seeing in the likes of Amazon. And some of those are going to include VR people, but there is no evidence whatsoever that this is a reflection of any kind of disappointment in VR. It is normal the headset sales for Quest would be lower now than in other periods because this is Quest 2's end of life cycle. You know, qu all indications are that. Quest 2 successor is coming out in October. Many buyers are aware of that. And even those that aren't, you know, they know that Quest 2 is not the shiny new thing. It is. It was released in 2020 and we're now in 2023. So to be able to kind of say that this is a problem with VR headset sales in general, you would need to see how Quest 3 does. Yeah, and I think that's what's going to surprise a lot of people. And uh, that kind of brings us back to the, we, we never really discussed the kind of opening image on this, uh, the thumbnail that we made that just cracked me up. And uh, Meta was on Jeopardy. The final Jeopardy question last week was uh, what word was coined by Neil Stevenson in his book Snow Crash and then shortened to become a company name. So the uh, the answer, I think, would have been meta. I think they probably would have accepted metaverse, uh, probably. But the three Jeopardy contestants that they, you know, vetted for the show answered, what, what was it? Uber, Powder, and I can't remember the third answer offhand. But uh, they, they didn't know what the metaverse was, despite all of this discussion on our show elsewhere. Uh, entire rebranding effort from Facebook to meta. And uh, I noticed Palmer Lucky, uh, the founder of Oculus, replied to our coverage of this, mentioning uh, that that wasn't the case for Oculus, right? Oculus was an answer on Jeopardy at some point, and I think it was correctly answered uh, back when that happened. So it's kind of a, a funny little uh, insight into pop culture understanding of brands. And it it's remarkable to me that here we are in this moment where Meta is laying off uh, so many people at the same time that they need to start building buzz 
for for what they you know what they're going to be pushing as a breakthrough moment for VR gaming um in competition with Apple it's just such a such a different story that Apple comes into this into the situation with so much consumer goodwill uh there's a lot of criticism out there valid criticism at Apple overall uh it's just that uh that's not the same situation that Meta's walking into this with, right? Like Meta is still the company that was Facebook and they haven't even begun to really begin the process of building a new relationship with consumers starting from that, that new name. Instead, they're just having to do this significant reorganization. Um, how are they going to change that story over the next six months is, is going to be wild to see. Uh, I want to say uh, maybe I'll, uh, if, if David has any final comments, he can speak up after I get through this. We've got our showcase, the Upload VR showcase coming up on June 14th. The applications for that closed today. Uh, so people who are listening to this on this podcast already, the, we've, we've already closed off our applications. Um, but I've seen some of the content that we've got lining up to be in the showcase. It's really, really, really cool stuff coming to VR. Uh, exciting to see uh, what that all comes together as. Going to be a big moment to to kind of showcase all of those new things. Um, we've got our newsletter obviously coming out. We get our first edition last week. Some of our sort of commentary that David Heaney and I get into on the show, we're going to encapsulate that into the newsletter a little bit, into short snippets, kind of summaries of your week. If you don't have time to follow through, uh, our constant stream of news, the once a week email newsletter should be able to cover a lot of the people in our audience out there who don't have sort of the time to keep up that way. Uh, but yeah, you can find the sign up for that on uploadvr.com. Please also think about becoming a member on uploadvr.com as well. Support us directly, support our work in journalism so we can grow uh, from a place where we don't really need to think about clicks too much and uh, listen to uh, sort of the needs of our audience. So thank you so much. And uh, we'll see you in the future. See you next week.